just, you know, you, it's, you're just funny. It's, you know, the way you tell the story and everything. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. It's... Oh, oh, Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? You're right. Funny how? What? Just, you know, you're, you're funny. <laughs> you mean, so? well, let me understand this, because, you know, maybe it's me, I'm a little fucked up, maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Get the fuck out of here, Tommy. <laughs> you motherfucker. I almost had him. I almost had him. There you are, yo. There you yo. are. All right. <laughs> Didn't see you there. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as '90s kids, and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan, and I'm Greg, and we're changing pace a little from last week. Oh last yeah. Last week we were on the sporting field with the uh, few the- sluggers. <laughs> Dropping all those witty baseball references for a league of their own. Yeah. Um, so we're going back a couple of years on that to 1990 and looking at good fellas. Wise guys. Wise guys. Good uh, fellas. That's right. The Scorsese masterpiece. Probably giving a little bit away there on how I feel about this film, calling it a masterpiece. Yeah. I don't think that's a controversial point of view. Well, not in this room. Probably not too far. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty well regarded. Oh, well, I'll push in. it a little further. I think it's better than The Godfather. Ooh, he's come out swinging. Oh, wait, we're not using baseball references. <laughs> no, we have to use uh, mafia reference. He's <laughs> really whacked it. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Resurface it's a them. good fellas. Yeah, pretty pumped to be doing this one. And it's a new year as well, 1990. Um, mm-hmm. it's Scorsese. I feel like we've been doing, I mean, we've covered uh, quite a range of movies. Yeah. But I do feel like uh, watching this movie was like eating a nice steak after eating only hamburgers <laughs> for the past. You know what I mean? Like all the other movies we've been doing, they, they're, they're good. I still like Finally, them. Finally, you made it to Most Prime of them, They were like, you know, comfort junk, junk food. And this was like a, Delicious, Film. fine steak, yeah. Film oh, steak. Yeah, this is good. Film steak. Like a good film steak. Um, but before we get into that, let's set the context. It was 1990, a little film called Goodfellas by our boy Martin, Marty. We're going to call him Marty throughout the podcast. Can we? Yeah. Can we say friend of the show? I've always wanted to do that. Friend of the show. Uh, <laughs> is that what they say? Friend of the show, Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Usually if they've been on the show, though. Maybe we'll hold back for when he's been on the show. Friend of the show, Martin Scorsese, <laughs> made this movie back in 1990. Budget of $25 million, gross of $46.8 million, which doesn't sound as high as some of the other ones we've talked about, mm-hmm. but I, I believe it was only released in cinema properly in the US. So that's a, that's a domestic oh, figure, right? which is pretty good. 
And I think for this type of movie, it's pretty good. Yeah. And I think for this point in his career, it's actually pretty good too. So we'll get into more of that later. But um, you can elaborate it, on that. You have to remember in 1990, this Scorsese had done some amazing things, but he wasn't necessarily like Scorsese, Scorsese yet. You know. Um, was he Marty at that point? He was Marty. No, he wasn't Marty yet. How do you feel about people calling Robert De Niro Bob? I feel like it's, the, it's such a humble brag. You know, when someone's on Letterman, he's, he'll be like, what was it like working with Robert De Niro? And they'd be like, oh, you know, Bob's really, uh, it's like a, yeah. oh, you mean Bob? It's very. Well, that's what I call him. <laughs> well, let's talk about 1990. It's about 1990. There were a few good movies in that year, I believe. I believe so. What are the Greg picks? Well, so I haven't. I haven't looked at the box office for that year, but I did look at the year and the just year. grabbed a handful of movies that jumped out for me in no particular order. I'm going to fire them no, out. In no particular order? Particular. <laughs> Mafia accent? <laughs> hey, I'm just drifting into character. Hey, no particular. I spent a lot of time with this content this week. <laughs> so, my, mo- my movies in no particular order Ah, Gremlins 2. Speaking of sequels yeah. in New York and their prequel, Home Alone was 1990. Ah. Yeah. Kindergarten Cop with Detective John Kimball. Who told you? Could he my cookies? He's, um, we haven't done an Arnie movie yet, crazy. Not yet, and uh, I'm getting a bit antsy about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, we'll need to, we'll address that soon. Yeah. Fans. The Witches, the Roald Dahl film. Oh, I'm but, really keen to do yeah, that. Yeah, me too. That scared the shit out of me. That was a great movie. Angelica Houston bossed it. What about Arachnophobia? Did that scare you? Sure did. Ah, that's in here. Hunt for the Red October. I remember I really wanted to watch that movie because I loved Sean Connery when I was a kid and then I was bored shitless. Not much happens. Well, not for an eight-year-old. But what was big for an eight-year-old in 1990? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Huge. Huge. That was very, very big. Wasn't it? That was... Yeah. Up there. Um, Total Recall, Edward Scissorhands. Man. Yeah. Dancers Bulls that year. That obviously was the, the Oscar darling. Misery. Um, yeah. Die Hard 2, Robocop 2. Yeah. Young Guns 2, uh, Problem Child. Yeah, I had that in there. And, and It. Oh, was that this year? Yeah. Huh. Crazy, Did you huh? say Back to the Future 3? No, was that in there as well? Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's my list of things that I liked in that year. How did I go with... There's actually quite a few there in the official top 10 of 1990. And number 26, some good fellas. 26, eh? Yeah, 26. Yeah. Now, box office-wise, yes, that's not top 10, but this movie was massive. Culturally, the years that followed, home entertainment, of course. Nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director... And Pesci, of course, won Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. With the greatest Oscar speech of all time. <laughs> all time. Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. It's my privilege. Thank you. It's my privilege. Thank you. 
A man of few words. Um, should we talk about um, Goodfellas? We yeah. definitely should. When did you first watch this? Okay, so I don't remember exactly when I first watched it. Right. It wouldn't have been at its release because no, same. this isn't a movie my parents would have actively brought into the house. Right. And it wouldn't have been a movie that eight-year-old Greg like made sure he got his hands on either. Like I wouldn't have, you know, if, like if looking through that list, first of all, there's heaps of good movies that I would have been allowed to watch in that year, like <clears throat> Witches, Kindergarten Cop, Arachnophobia, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Home Alone. Like there's heaps of good kids movies. And if I was trying to get my hands on stuff that I wasn't allowed to watch, it would probably be Die Hard 2. Or Total Recall. Yeah. Whereas not a mafia movie. We weren't ready. No. Nah, didn't didn't appeal. Wouldn't we're like, it. what do you mean? There's they only look one... boring. Yeah, there's a couple they're of They're wearing suits. Yeah, they're talking a lot. What's with all the talking? old timey music. <laughs> Fully. Yeah, it wouldn't it would not have appealed. Yeah. Until high school, I'm gonna guess. Yeah, maybe early high school, early yeah. teens. One of my earlier memory, memories though is trying to do the garlic thing with the razor. You tried it? Yeah. Ah, that's cool. Unsuccessfully, though, it just burns the garlic. I don't know if someone actually has done that and it worked. I remember yeah. pestering my mum going, Mum, this is how, and she's like, no. It's it how they do burn. it in prison, Mom. She's <laughs> like, it was just burnt. I was obsessed with cooking when I was a kid and my earliest memories of the movie were those food scenes. Really? So, yeah, totally. Like, I've just always loved Italian culture of food and, you know, yeah. their relationship with food and I think this movie captures that so well. So that particularly the prison scene, so the yeah. way he's cutting the garlic and – where they're making the sausages and them, they're my earliest. I actually, I was movie. thinking that more with the cookout, part, the barbecues kind of scenes. Yeah, yeah. Just like that vibe of the that spiral looking sausage thing that we don't really have here. Yeah. Um, which I saw a bit of. So we used to have the uh, San Gennaro Festival, right? Because I basically lived oh, in what used to be Little Italy. Little Italy. Were you yeah. there when that was on? No, I just missed it. But they had all that, so you could get your Italian sausage, you could get your get a cannoli for your holy oh, and um, <laughs> all that kind of shit. But it was so great because it was yeah. all it was that vibe. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not that vibe in terms. Of, it wasn't a mob scene, but it was just like that Italian American thing, which is a pretty different spin to Australian Italian. I think Italian. Um, I think I watched this. I don't remember specifically, but I believe this would have been in the era of high school Tristan thinking he's a film student kind of thing. And when did that? Was that Just later? plowing through all the classics, like probably Midway, 10, 11. Like year 10 or something, yeah. Yeah. But having said that, I also think it probably overlapped with an era in my life where there's also the Becoming a Man movies a little bit, like Scarface and like... American Pie. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so different, different kind, but it's like, uh, like masculinity, yeah. you know? Uh-huh. Um and so I think probably when I first watched it, I wasn't accessing all of the levels of what it was. I was probably yeah. more dialed into the glamorization of yeah. the lifestyle more. You were watching a mafia movie. Yeah, it's like, hey, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a gangster. Yeah. Like we – because, yeah, closely followed by like my year 10 formal where, I, you know, I wore big open collar, grey suit with a black shirt, open collar, you know, nice. and we all had big open collars like it was – I don't know. I don't know if it, it wasn't because of that movie, but there was definitely some kind of like gangster influence. Yeah, and I think it was not just me, but that maybe that point in the nineties where microfiber suits. Remember microfiber? I do. <laughs> microfiber everything, Greg. You'd wear your baggy microfiber pants from Lowe's. Oh, did yeah. you? Were you in on that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I was watching it kind of on that level in my younger years. Like, That's an interesting point you make. Like younger eyes 
probably didn't see the bad as much. You probably just focus on the, whoa. Yeah. This is cool. And that's why movies have R ratings, I guess. <laughs> oh, on that note too, <laughs> at that point in my life, I, in hindsight, this is hilarious. At that point in my life, Joe Pesci was a Home Alone guy. Oh, yeah. Which actually came out the same year, which I didn't realize until we're looking oh, yeah. into this, which is weird. Shit, I hadn't thought but about it, that. I watched it so much later in life. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's see how this Home Alone guy does in a Scorsese movie. Good luck, you chump. You know, like not knowing who he was. This is pre-internet. So Yeah, shit. Hadn't thought, didn't think of that. I had a really similar thing with Michael Madsen because he was in Free Willy. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> and that was my fir- the first time I saw him. I'm like, why is he? What's with his eyebrows? He's so serious. And then um, in Tarantino movies, I'm like, oh, the Free Willy guy. All right, guy. Let's see how you go. But obviously. That's yeah, more his jam. This is, this is yeah. Um, but I thought that was pretty funny. Gregory, what would you say is your favorite Scorsese picture? I would say, okay. So if it's not Goodfellas, I'm a massive fan of The Departed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed that movie. Yeah. That's um, where I've landed. I think Goodfellas is my number one now. Yeah. But if you'd asked me two weeks ago, yeah, I might have said Departed slightly over Goodfellas. But then I, <clears throat> this just got so good. I yeah. would have, my default answer probably would have been Taxi Driver. Oh, yeah. Again, I probably watched that primarily in this era oh. I'm talking about here. Casino as well, shit. Yeah, but then I don't, Casino is still great, but it's, it's a similar, it's based on a book by the same writer. It's, you know, same actors in similar roles, kind of, not really, but yeah, I'm generalizing. No, 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 that's a fair comment. Raging Bull's in the mix. Yeah, Raging Bull I do like. There's also, you know what's great oh, about man, Casino? Casino, Raging Bull, and um, and Goodfellas. Casino, Raging Bull, and Frank Vincent. Is that Billy Bats? Yeah. Yeah, he gets in a fight with Joe Pesci in every single movie. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone made a super cut of it on YouTube. Oh, no, and it's really? Him, it's, is Joe it's, Pesci? Of course he is, yeah. It's sure. mostly Joe Pesci beating him up. Because yeah. he beats him up in Raging Bull even when he's... Joe Pesci doesn't play so much of a psycho in Raging Bull, but he still finds the, the opportunity, opportunity bit <laughs> Billy Bats. Um, ah. And someone... I was, I was reading about it online. Someone made a great a great call out that um, that actor's in Sopranos yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, he gets whacked. It would have been great if it was Joe brought, Pesci. If they brought Joe Pesci in <laughs> just to whack him. That would have been so good. And as we'll talk, that would have been fitting because... Oh man, there's pretty. They're pretty closely linked. They're pretty closely linked. Um, yeah. Can I just get your thoughts on a couple of his sort of more recent movies? Yeah, Gangs of New York. Didn't like it at the time, and, and uh, rewatching it. Don't like it now. And I don't like it now. <laughs> and I hate it now. <laughs> no, nah, but I rewatching it after I'd kind of written it off. I was like, it's it's okay. Hmm. It's not the best Scorsese movie, but as a movie, I'm like, yeah, I'll watch it. Yeah, Aviator. Uh, I think I watched a pirated version of that and I was not that interested. Uh, Shutter Island. Oh, I kind of liked that. I heard it was bad, so I had low expectations. And I didn't know the twist, so I thought I liked it. And finally, Wolf of Wall Street. I like. I like. <laughs> cool. That's all, my, that's, that's all my questions, Your Honor. Well, you know how people talk about Wolf of Wall Street as sort of a spiritual sequel to Goodfellas? Have you heard about that? I haven't. So I guess there's the the kind of surface level mechanics of it all and the techniques and all that kind of thing. There's lots of freeze framing. There's kind of the the 
bio almost shots. doco style. Um, there's some classic, some steady cam, long shot, long takes, whatever they call those things. Yeah, but that's that's a bit more cosmetic. But subject matter wise and thematic wise, greed and um, basically, I think the the way people talk rise about and it is fall, <clears throat> rise arc. and fall kind of thing. But then also fall, but not really. You kind of get away with it in the end. No real comeuppance happens. And basically the idea that the period that's covered in the Goodfellas, the mafia were the crooks. And then when you look at the 90s, Wall Street are the crooks. That's kind of the thing. But I don't think it's really – I couldn't find it, but I'm pretty sure I've heard him say or read him say that he didn't look at it that way. Not to say that that's all that matters because, you know, everyone can have an opinion. But – um. I, th- I do think that's kind of interesting. Mm. I know he has Same. done that. He has done that with other movies that, because uh, bringing out the dead. Did you watch that one? No. With Nicolas Cage. No. He's an ambulance driver. Ah, oh, yeah. I've seen that. So, yeah. But I don't remember. Like I saw it. So I, I remember my mother mm, telling me at yeah. the time when we watched that, and so this was this probably came out in that era when I was catching up on Scorsese. Yeah. Same. And she, I remember she told me that. It is a follow-up to Taxi Driver. It's so that was a ground-level view of New York back in the seventies or whatever, and this is now the nineties version of that That's kind of thing. It's not a sequel; it's not the same story, but it's like you're looking at the gritty side of the, yeah. the side you don't see very often. And like he he's got fairly specific subject matter. Well, that's the thing too. That's the thing too I didn't really consider was that before this movie, he'd only done the only other gangster movie he'd done really was Main Streets, right? And I think it sounded like he wasn't particularly interested in doing more gangster movies necessarily, but then obviously he's done a shit ton since. Yeah. But he, I mean, he was close to it. So he obviously grew up in New York. He grew up in Little Italy. Correct. On Elizabeth Street, near where Tristan lived when he was over there. Very different when I lived there, though. Yeah. But he lived there when there was it was when, it, when they didn't have an mob. Italian festival, which is was the Italian. Well, they still festival. had Lombardi's Pizza, the first pizzeria in America. Was that joint really old? I didn't the know first that. pizzeria in America. Ah, and that's on Elizabeth. Yeah, we went and there. Spring. Didn't we? Or we got takeaway or something. That's on Elizabeth and Spring, and he was on Elizabeth just a bit further north like ah, on that same block. Such a good neighborhood, man. And um, yeah, and that was when it was still Little Italy, and now it's called No Leader because Little Italy is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, and. Even further south, where it's really, really still little Italy, it's still getting more taken over by Chinatown. So little Italy is dwindling. When he grew up, it was very much little Italy. He grew up in one of those buildings there on that on Elizabeth Street, and um, it was a mob town. One of his best friends as a kid was the son of a mob boss, and so he would see this shit like the people that that Henry's looking out his window, looking at like that was his view from from his apartment. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's yeah. seeing all this shit. And there's all these crazy stories like apparently the the guys would tell the mums in the streets to take their kids inside at certain times because someone's going to get whacked. Yeah. It's and fucking just, crazy. And then they just send them back out. And it sounds like no one really explicitly talks about it. Like when I was doing some research on this, I was trying to find some sound bites. No one explicitly talks about it, but it sounds like De Niro and Pesci had a similar kind of vibe. So everyone brought a lot of authenticity to this movie through life experience. Not that they were gangsters, but they were yeah. around it. Yeah. I think um, Harvey Keitel mentioned that in one of his interviews because yeah. he's obviously done a lot of work with Scorsese as well. Yeah. And he's a Brooklyn guy and he sort of says, you know, yeah. like we're not gangsters, 
we're, but we've, we're but actors, we've, but we grew up in an envi- in our environment. These these sort of yeah, this was the normal way of life that we grew up in. So yeah, we've got all those experiences we grew up with. Well, man, Joe Pesci's Joe Pesci's what, what am I clown? I make yeah. you laugh. That was he saw a real wise guy say that to another guy, yeah. or I've yeah. heard varying versions where someone said it to him or Correct. whatever. Yeah, but he both. he brought that to the movie. There were. Before I before we get too deep into some specific scenes, should we talk about um, Goodfellas? As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I know I'd go from rags to riches. To me, being a gangster was better than being president of the United States. Never ran on your friends. And always keep your mouth shut. It meant being somebody in the neighborhood that was full of nobodies. Oh, you broke your cherry. Hey, Mom, what do you think? You look like a gangster. By the time I grew up, there was 30 billion a year in cargo moving through Idlewild Airport. And believe me, we tried to steal every bit of it. You might know who we are, but we know who you are. You understand? Yeah. What kind of people are these? Life is but a dream. What do you do? I'm in construction. If we wanted something, we just took it. And you didn't even think about it. Toss it was better than Citibank. Nice. It's great, but nice. You got some nerve standing me up. Nobody does that to me. Who the hell do you think you are? Frankie Valley or some oh. kind of big shot? I was living in a fantasy. Look at my eyes. He's not Jewish. For most of the guys, killings got to be accepted. Murder was the only way that everybody stayed in line. What are we going to do with him? We can't just dump him on the street. You got out of line, you got whacked. Everybody knew the rules. Hey, Henry. Here's an arm. Very funny, guys. Here's a leg. Here's a wing. What do you like, the leg or the wing, Henry? Okay, you ready? For us, to live any other way was nuts. Anything I wanted was a phone call away. (laughs) And we were treated like movie stars with muscle. We had it all just for the asking. It's going to be a good summer. (laughs) It was a glorious time. by violence on the streets where the violent have power a new generation carries on an old tradition so before we go too deep this movie is based on a true story and very closely may i say this is not a um this is not a uh, fucking Bohemian Rhapsody where Freddie Mercury gets AIDS when it's relevant to the plot in a movie. This is more close to the truth. Um, but it's based on the real Henry Hill. And uh-huh. he had a book written about him by a, a journalist named Nicholas Pelegi, Pelegi called Wise Guy. 
And the book was pretty successful. Um, Scorsese says he didn't want to make another mob movie at the time, but he read the book and was like, ah, shit, i got to do this movie. Yeah. you got to do the movie. <laughs> and he was making Color of Money at the time, another movie I didn't know he did, Color uh-huh. of Money with Tom Cruise. So Tom Cruise did a Scorsese movie. I never even well, thought about that. He Is was, there something on that? Yeah, on Tom Cruise and Scorsese. Yeah. He was shortlisted for Ray Liotta's role. He sure wasn't tall listed, I tell you that Yo. much. He was. I had that in here too. Yeah, he yeah, was. Yeah, him and Madonna. Yeah. That's right. Um Very different movie. But, I mean, I actually rate Tom Cruise as an actor. I don't think it would have been the worst thing in the world, but it wouldn't have been quite the same. Yeah. It would have been a different thing. Yeah, he could have done back-to-back Scorsese's. And that's um, Paul Newman yeah. as well in Color of Money. Do you know the film? I never saw it. It's, they're just, it's like a, they're pool hustlers. Really? Yeah. So he's so it's basically the the classic. Uh, so he's the young gun, and he goes under the wing of <clears throat> Paul Newman, who basically teaches him how to hustle. It's a good movie. It's worth. I should watch. watch that. Yeah, you definitely yeah, should. that sounds good. So yeah, he just made that, but he read this book and he's like, "Fuck, how can I not do the movie?" Yeah. So he calls up Pelleggi. He says, "Hey, I've been waiting for this book my entire life." Pelleggi says, "Hey." I've been waiting for this phone call my entire life. That's pretty cute. That's pretty cute. Um, then I assume they giggled a little bit, um, twirling their finger through the phone cord. <laughs> so, lying on their tummy, kicking their What are their you legs thinking? Who should we cast? But what it was about this book was that Scorsese was very much drawn to how fucking real it was. Because the real Henry Hill, he would just fucking talk for days. And on all the tapes, he's just eating potato chips and yeah. shit. And he's getting so specific. And I think it's that level of specificity that Scorsese is just like, fuck, these are like real characters. It's almost like a documentary. You're getting like a real feel for these people as humans, not just as these gangster kind of stereotypes. Yeah. And it, well, and, and, he certainly and, dialed that up. And the fact that they're likable. You, you know they're bad. Like this movie opens with a fucking hardcore murder and you're like, okay, this is fucked up. Five minutes later, you love these guys. Uh-huh. Um, and that was what really drew him to it. The desire to make a picture like Goodfellas or certain aspects of Mean Streets, for example, come right. I always felt that Mean Streets, too, was a picture that was in the tradition of um, the Warner Brothers gangster films, in a way. Goodfellas is a better example because it was made in 90, 91 or 90, I think. And we um, very simply traced the lineage right past, right to the 40s. Um, of the, the gangster films by Raoul Walsh, the films coming out of Warner Brothers, particularly Roaring Twenties, um, down to the early, through the 30s, but particularly two films, um, Scarface and Public Enemy. In Scarface, you have an interesting situation where um, these characters, who are really despicable, are presented in such a way that you like them. And that was the key. You see, that's the first movie I saw that made me realize that, uh, gee, that's the same dilemma I have, basically, because I grew up around a lot of these guys. Now, they're not all like Paul Muni was or George Raff was in that film, or they're all like Henry. They were more like Henry Hill, and uh, where I grew up, in a way. Um, and Paulie, for example, played by Paul Ver- played by uh, Paul Servino, and uh, I I understood that, and I also understood them as human beings. And so, I know that they came out of a tradition, though, of outlaws, in a way, uh, which is something that's been very popular in American culture all the way back to the 19th century. In fact, we take it all the way back to Musketeers of Pig Alley. But also, I always took it even further, which was the Great Train Robbery. 
because basically in the Great Train Robbery, they rob, they commit this great robbery, and then at the end, the police get them all, and somebody in the last shot fires a, ca- a gun right into the camera. That's why I have Joe Pesci firing the gun at the end into the camera of um, Goodfellas, in the sense that basically in Goodfellas, it's a bunch of outlaws who do this incredible robbery, and then they all kill each other, and the police get them at the end. It's exactly the same story. Yeah, so he was into that angle. And it's funny, because I never even considered the old, old Scarface. He's talking. He's not talking about Pacino's Scarface. Yeah. He's talking about old, old Scarface, which I didn't realize was, I guess, that influential. I guess it was to him. Maybe we, it might be worth a watch. But um, It's quite old, old, old Scarface, isn't it? Yeah, it's black and white. I mean, it's, I'm pretty sure it's got nothing to do with the Pacino version. But yeah, he talks about the great train robbery as following a very similar story structure to the point where he explicitly calls it out at the end of the movie Yeah, with Pesci. It's funny, hey, because you know how we watch Tarantino movies and we know a lot of the references? Yeah. And you're like, that's a reference, that's a reference, that's yeah. all on homage or just plain yeah. copy. With Scorsese movies, because they're a little bit older yeah. for us. I don't know the references. Yeah, that's a good point. So I just see it as all new material. So but it's, it's still effective. Because we're technically closer in age to Tarantino, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Are you excited for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so he's into it. He wants to make this movie. He wants uh-huh. to make the picture. However... Like I said, this is not the Scorsese we know just yet. Yes, he's done Taxi Driver. Yes, he's done Main Streets. Yes, he's done Raging Bull. He's respected, but he's not the unstoppable force that is Scorsese. And he got funding to make The Last Temptation of Christ and so made that film. Is that like a Passion of the Christ type setup? I'm not totally sure, but it was very controversial. So there were lots of protests. I think financially it was a flop. I don't know if critically it was. I think it's like it's supposed to be pretty good. But like he was not in a good place. This is a bit of a sliding doors moment for him that Yeah, right. He he could have faded away at this point if not, you know, pumping out some great work immediately following that, which he did. He obviously got the Goodfellas. So he did get to make Goodfellas. And a big part of him getting to make Goodfellas was casting Robert De Niro to get it financed. Yep, that'll help. That'll help. So the guy that read the book Nicholas Pileggi, he comes in to write the screenplay. They end up co-writing it together. I'm not a screenwriter, so I don't get the intricacies of it. But it sounds like it was an interesting journey because they broke a lot of rules. So they kind of decided which sections of the book they liked and, and kind of chunked them down into blocks that they could kind of assemble into episodes. And I think that's that's actually an interesting way to... It felt like this could have been a TV show that went on for like four seasons that is yeah, compressed. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine Tommy getting whacked being a massive moment in season three. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Whereas the fact that they got such complexity into this, what, two and a half hours, which is on the longer end, but... It's pretty remarkable. It's crazy and you're not lost and it doesn't feel like you're just blasting through bullet points. Like, it is... Oh, it's a slick movie. Like, it's the, the fact that the characters feel... Very familiar, yeah. In such a short time frame, yeah. You know, like they've got such specific either mannerisms, and I think the chemistry, which we'll talk about more between the the cast, is probably as good as it gets, right? Man, like, as good as it gets. And I think that adds to it, like you, it's, it creates such a universe, yeah. But yeah, so there's a lot of stuff he does in this 
So yeah, throwing away traditional narrative structure. I think a lot of the stuff he does, he didn't necessarily invent, but he executed in such an iconic fashion that it's become like a Scorsese thing or like a he pioneered it or whatever. I guess yeah. it's like, you know, Apple didn't invent the MP3 player, but they did the iPod. You know, it's it, it seems like that kind of level. Put their of, stamp on it. Yeah, that's like. That's a, not a bad analogy you've given there. Did you think about that for long or did that just come to you? I think I've used that one before for something else. I think I'm going to use it in future for, I didn't invent the analogy about Apple. <laughs> <laughs> I perfected it. <laughs> um, one example is just in literally how the script is written, that they start in the middle, going down episode by episode, starting in the middle and then running back and running forward and short, punchy scenes that keep moving. There's a sense of propulsion throughout the movie that kind of all culminates in such an epic, hectic, maybe not epic, but hectic finale, which is, uh, it all comes together so beautifully. Mm. That, is it just that one scene? So the So the opening scene of the film is, as you say, it's the main character's Rayliotta, De Niro, and Pesci. Yeah. Those three characters in a car driving through the night and they've got the boot in the trunk of Billy Bats. Yeah. You don't know who that is yet at yeah. this stage. Is that the only – and then it cuts Then back, it's all chronological. And then it's yeah. chronological. They've yeah. pulled that scene forward. And it's it, even that alone is one of those things I think it's even become a meme since that a lot of movies do now. The freeze frame, you're probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> you know, <like laughs> yeah. <those. laughs> That's yeah. become a bit of a cliche, but I think at this time it wasn't. And the way they do it, as far back as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> That's my attempt. <laughs> you know how you do your accidental impersonations? Yeah. I think, feel like you've done a good, a great Leo DiCaprio. So that's my 2019 casting is because I could imagine him doing that exact line. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. That's, man, that's a good Leo. But that's interesting too. Again, when Scorsese's taste, he goes back to, he's got certain people he goes oh, back to. He? If this was made today, 100% that would be Leo in that role. Yeah. Yeah. As far back as I can remember. Yeah. Ah, um, that's interesting. Speaking of casting, very natural segue there. We talked about Tom Cruise. Cruise? Tom Cruise? Have we talked about <laughs> who else could have played uh, Jimmy the Gent? Yeah, well, I think we I touched I touched on it. Did you touch on it? Touched Caressed on it. sliding doors because he ah. he turned someone turned down this movie. Yeah, to go and make another movie because yeah. he didn't want to be typecast into this world. Oh wait, who are you going to say? Al Pacino. Oh, I had someone else. I had um, John Malkovich. What? Yeah, John Malkovich was approached. He even commented on it and said he was at a bad time in his life. That's all he said. Bad time in his life, and he turned it down. Oh, yeah. That makes me sad. Well, I mean, I love De Niro and he's awesome in this. It always struck me as a bit odd that he was supposed to be Irish, but he's supposed yeah. to be half Sicilian or something, I guess. Yeah. But um, but he's very, he, he comes across as very Italian. And maybe just because of all the other roles, it's just, it's encoded into our brains. He's Barbie. You know, anyone that knows Barbie. <laughs> like I know Barbie. Oh, man. You know. Uh, so Ray... Ray was not an easy casting decision. He'd only done a couple of movies. What did he do? Field of Dreams? Something like that. He'd done. This is his fourth movie, apparently. Or he'd done four movies. I think this was the fourth. Yeah. 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 Either or, right? Call it fourth or fifth. Yeah. And he was quite late to the acting scene. His first role was he was like 31 or something. Because how old is he in this? Like 34 or something? He must be. Well, that was one of the things, too, when they're like, oh my God, how do you have all this money for a 21 year old or whatever? 
And like he's twenty one. Yeah, <laughs> he looks yeah. about forty because <laughs> he, he, he doesn't look young even for. He his aged age. in this movie, like he was quite a handsome guy in the early parts of the movie. It's still a weird looking guy. It's Ray Liotta, but like more. Like Ara walked in and she's like, "Oh, he's he's a good looking guy." Oh, she did. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh no, she said something like, "He's too pretty." He looks too pretty. But by the end of the movie, he looks like shit. Yeah, that's And perfect. I feel like he's never come back from that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like never come back. Anyway, he was not a sure thing for this movie. Um, no. There's a few no. layers to this, but apparently studio wanted a big name actor, so Ray really had to lobby for it. When Marty wanted to cast Ray, I said, why, why Ray? We could do better. I kept saying, look at other people. Let's see who else is out there. And my wife went having dinner and... Um, Ray Liotta was in the restaurant, and he came over to my table, and he said, could I see you for a minute and talk to you? I had never met him. And uh, I said, sure. I got up from the dinner table, and uh, we went outside. And he said, look, I know you've been resisting me playing the part. Uh, and then he went into a whole spiel about why he should have it, and he convinced me. And I called Marty the next day and said, you know what? I think you're right. Hire him. Marty probably would have beat me up and hired him anyhow, but uh, Ray convinced me. So he gets the part. He gets to do the movie. Good, um, good and brushness. So, good brushness. Yeah. So anyway, he gets a pile of Henry Hill tapes that he listens to. I mean, the sad. I mean, there's a pretty sad part about this for Ray. Was his mother was dying of cancer at this point? Oh, I didn't know that. And so he's driving. He, he's driving a lot to him from the hospital wherever and he's listening to his Henry Hill tapes. Getting the oh, character. he did say that. Yeah. yeah right, and um, right. his mother actually died while they were shooting. Oh, that's heavy. He's pretty fucked up. Um, but then the beautiful part of this too is for authenticity's sake, of course, kind of an open-ish casting call for real uh, mob types. Uh-huh. Um, so basically, they went up to this this restaurant in Harlem called Rouse, and they put the word out to the mob. Um, the word out to the mob was anyone who wants to be in a movie come. And so they're sitting in this restaurant, all these. Like mob types are like basically auditioning for the movie, and so, so like a bunch of a lot of the extras you're seeing in the movie and that kind of shit are Mo- uh, mob types. Dad turns them away as like, there's no way we can put that guy on camera. He's done so many too many bad things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the main actors, the uh, I think he's a Paulie in this, but he's a Paulie in Sopranos as well. You know the uh, yeah Paulie with the yeah the wingtips. Yeah, yeah, he's in this as well, but he's he's legitimately. Ex ex mob guy. He's been to prison a few times. Is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a few of those kind of guys in it. I mean, this was basically his breakout role, and he ended up being Sopranos as well. Um, but then of course we've got Joe Pesci. Yeah. Apparently, he said he didn't initially want to be in it. Uh huh. But he chatted to Marty, friend yep, of the show, friend of the show, and um, he <laughs> said, "Let me tell you a few stories, and if you can if you can find a place for this sort of thing, we might have a." Might be able to make something special. <clears throat> I thought you were putting on a character then. No, uh, I can't do it. But then he almost nearly didn't get to play the role of uh, Tommy DeVito because uh, he was too old. Ah, oh, he's definitely too short. <laughs> yeah, big time. Because what was his real name? Tommy DeSilly or DeSemelli? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, he's 6'2", apparently. Based on a real guy, 6'2". But it works for the character in this. to kind of got that small man syndrome. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, but check this out. This is pretty good. Uh, originally, weren't they going to try and cast you in some other role? Well, uh, no, I, 
the the original thing was that I was supposed to play that part, and then uh, Scorsese called me one day and he said uh, that they were thinking of of having the actors uh, younger at certain areas and uh, of the film in the beginning, and he said he thought I would be too old to make that, you know, and uh, he said I might have to play the older uh, gangster in the movie, the mm -hmm. Paul Servino role, mm -hmm. and I said, but I don't want to play that part. And he said, well, there's nothing you can do about it, you know, you, that's, that's it, I might have to do this. I said, but I don't want to play that part. And he cursed at me and hung up. And uh, I called him back and cursed at him. And then I waited and then I was sorry. <laughs> and then I called him back and I said, come on, Marty, can't we work this out? <laughs> I said, uh, there's got to be a way, I mean, this is Hollywood, you know. Yeah, showbiz, babe. Yeah, we can make me young, you know. So uh, what I did was I, uh, I went to uh, Mike Westmore, who's a friend of ours from Raging Bull, who does all the makeup stuff for the Star Trek series. Uh -huh. And he gave me lifts, and I put a wig on and, uh, you know, to show him I could play the part younger. And what I do, I had a friend of mine follow me around the house right. and uh, up in the Hollywood Hills, and uh, I was just playing the character the way I was going to play him, and I was yelling at my dog, kicking my dog in the pool, <laughs> and showing him the house. And, oh. My dog loves the pool. <laughs> and then he, I should, well, you know, then we flew to New York, and I played the tape for him. Kicking my dog in the, kicking my dog in the pool. Whoa. Kicking my, nah. That was pretty good. Um, all right, so he gets into the movie too. So throughout the movie, just to wrap up this background shit, a lot of improv in the movie, like we said, funny how, funny how, what am I a clown? I make you laugh. That's all part of that's that was improvised in rehearsals and added to the script. Yeah. There's a lot of uh -huh. that. This scene's about going from A to B, has some fun in between. Yeah. A lot of that going on, not so much in a Judd Apatowian sense, but in a more, I don't know, being authentic to the characters, not about cracking jokes, hey, so be authentic, yeah. So Question, how how common is that? So my layman understanding was that improv was wasn't more of a comedy mechanism. Yeah. Or um, That's a good point. Like how often is how often are directors in these type of movies that aren't com but this is actually a pretty funny movie. There is a parts, genre but. called I think it's called Mumblecore, which is there's a director that's like what? famous for it, which is basically that. So you know how you basically how <clears throat> Cobra enthusiasm gets done which is kind of what i just said it's like this scene's about from getting from here to here make up the dialogue go nuts um this i forget there's, he's got a series on netflix and i forget what it's called but it's it's kind of a subgenre called mumblecore where it's it's trying to get to like a raw kind of conversation yeah, okay so i think it exists but you're right like in in more of a pop culture it's it's become a comedy thing yeah so it is kind of cool to see it in this context yeah because it does feel very authentic. The whole movie just feels so... Yeah. It's immersive. Yeah. Like, I'll touch a bit later, but it kind of feels like documentary. and mm. It feels very, yeah, just real. real. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, just to, to round out um, Path to Getting Made stuff, music, obviously a big part of this movie. I think this may have had one of the biggest music budgets <laughs> of any movie, especially at uh -huh. that time. Like, it had no traditional score so much. Uh, it was, these were all existing pop music. I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but used not just to signify the era, but also what's going on with the characters and all that kind of shit. 
it's kind of a gimmicky tool that's used a lot these days, but this is a great example of how to use music how to in it. service of the story and the plot and yeah. everything, not just a gimmick. This is not Suicide Squad. This is, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, and just such an eclectic, unusual. Yeah. And he, as he's co-writing the script, he would he would tell Pelleggi, hey, oh, just, can you just make a note there? Just write down Cream because he knows he wants the Cream song there. Yeah, and, and like write instrumental. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a part of a song. Yeah, it's not yeah, even like, like instrumental, yeah. Yeah. Should we talk about the music? Yeah, I, I'm keen to talk about the music. All right. So, the music. So, like I said, this is one of those movies which, again, he wasn't the first to do this, but has become a bit of an icon for this type of thing where there wasn't so much a score. He used existing music. <laughs> he used existing music and built his movie around it to the point where in some scenes where there's no dialogue, he had that song playing on set. To kind of set the tempo of the scene and like really, he had a vibe. So cool. It's so cool, right? So um, with, with that bit, I I think I heard that he he basically just randomly throws back to oh, there's that song, there's that song that I heard ten years ago that my mum used to play. I think right. we'll be this scene, and then he was like, "What was that song, mum? What was that song you used to play?" And he go, da, da, da. "Yeah, yeah, that's awesome for this." Ah, uh, so and good. so he basically pieced together his own little mental anthology of songs he's heard throughout his life and parts of those songs and then plug them back in when he thinks would be an interesting. So good. And he said that uh, the music was a big part of like the the mob life he observed. Like there would be music playing in the street and like. Yeah. So I think it's okay, kind of a throwback to that too. And just but generally yeah. part of his growing up perhaps. Yeah. And I think kind of like I said in the simplest form, yes, these songs are there to signify time passing and so he would have songs that are like any song played had to be around that year or earlier. Mm-hmm. So that makes yeah. kind of sense. Yeah. Everyone kind of does that, whatever. But further than that, there's some real, really cool use of music throughout the whole thing. So basically in the early stages of the movie, when when Henry's still kind of being seduced by the mob life, all of the music is kind of romantic uh-huh. love songs. Yeah. He's looking at the guys in the suits and the jewelry and he's – and it's all this like beautiful love like music going on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um and he, he, he romanticizes it in his voiceover too. He's like, there were just a police department for wise guys. Like he's basically saying they help people, they need help. You know, he's rationalizing it and they're they're yep. all just good people, they're just misunderstood. And there's kind of this romantic music, but yeah. it's the, it's generally the it was the glamorous side yeah. Of of the whole thing. Yeah. And this all... When we talk about the whole, how he covers all areas. Yeah. But this is definitely the... Yeah. And this... The good part. This culminates, um, kind of comes to a seduction peak in that epic shot that is the Copacabana single take that goes from yeah. parking the car all the way through the, 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 the back hallway, through the kitchen, uh-huh. to the table, to the comedian starting. And that's fucking cool. Again, not not so the longest cool. single take at that point, not the first time, but one of the best. And what I love about this, Greg, you know how I feel about constraint. <laughs> I know where you're going. You know where I'm going with this. I know where you're going. So, again, the use of music at this point, the song is like, and then he kissed me. Uh, like this is, we're yeah. in seduction mode. He's wooing Karen. They're walking down. He's... He's showing her the life. He's like, we're seeing it from his point of view. <clears throat> the camera's sweeping behind him. This is all a beautiful single, fluid, seductive shot, right? Uh-huh. 
He's what's he do? He gives the the car to the he's ballet. He's everyone. walking down there. He's tipping. He's yeah, like, he "Hey, wait, you guys again? Come on!" Like going everyone to the kitchen. Uh, sits down. What do you do? Uh, construction. I'm a union delegate. Boom! Shh, comedian starts. Yeah. Single take. This is like three minutes, I think. The beautiful thing about it is the constraint they had was to do a single take like this. These days, it's probably easier. A lot of directors do them and they fake it, like um, David Fincher. Fight Club, you know, there'll be some CGI mixed in there, or it's okay. like they'll link yeah. it somehow, so it's not actually a single take. This is legitimately a single take, and steady cams at that point were big and uncomfortable too. And so, to make this shot work, you have to go from both a, you need to get the wide shots and the tight shots in a single shot, which is crazy because usually that's what editing is for. So, the reason Henry is stopping along the way is to give the cameraman time to go from a wide shot to a tight shot. So. It's like, okay, we're going down the stairs. You're going to need to slow down so I can catch up to you. Let's put a guy at the door that you tipped and lets you in. Um, Same's going to happen when we get around the corner. So you're going to need, there's going to be two people kissing there. So these things that came out of constraint became beautiful character moments that make that shot work. Because that wasn't necessarily set out to be, I mean, they shot it that way, but he kind of thought, uh, Marty, friend of the show, Marty's going to, cut the shit out of this and we're probably just going to end up with the part where they're putting the table down and Uh all that kind of shit. Um, so they did all this while Marty was away. Marty, you know, they talked about it, but Ray and um, uh, the Steadicam guy, what's his name? Larry McConkie. Oh, Larry. They worked it out between themselves. And um, Mar- Marty came back. They did it in eight takes, which is pretty crazy. Feels lean. I visited a film set recently, and they did about <laughs> 20 takes of people walking down a hallway for about three seconds. So. Yeah. This is three minutes. <laughs> yeah. And it's so perfect. All of these things it's have to be beautiful. synchronized. The the hardest part apparently was the comedian started at the right time because it was kept some fucking old guy. up at the end. Yeah, the old up. boy. So hey, that's take why my wife. <laughs> take my wife, please. It's like an Italian Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> at the end. Yeah. But that's so that's why I Ray Liotta. So they decided because they couldn't count on that guy. You're going through all this shit and that guy fucks it up the last fucking frame. So they got Ray Liotta to poke um, his wife Karen, as a oh look, he's starting as a nod to the cameraman to then pan over. So all oh, of that stuff again, all of that stuff is like beautiful character yes. things came well, out of necessity. Yeah, and it, oh, what a classic shot! Hey, um, on constraints, yeah, the OG constraint for that scene. What the club wouldn't let them film the opening, the front of the club. Oh yeah, I read something about this, and so that's why that's, that's why all they started. went the back way. Yeah, but it like you can't imagine them going through it. Like it's so cool, and it's one of those stylistic techniques. Uh, the long take has become kind of a, a show off point in movies oh, now. Yeah, I mean, what's um, what's, he, what's my main man, Inaratu, Gabriel Inaratu. The guy that did, um, what, what did uh, Leo get his Oscar for? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so Alejandro Inaratu, he's pretty partial to a to a single take. So, yeah, the opening scene of The Revenant, do you remember? It's yeah, It's pretty yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the scene where the, the trappers are all on camp yeah. in, the, in the wilderness and then the um, Indians come and basically yeah. fuck them up. And there's yeah. just this beautiful battle but it's just sweeping one scene. It's incredible. Yeah. But you're so, right, it is. But I wouldn't be surprised if elements of that are fakes to make it work, like stitching together different shots. Although he seems pretty authentic, doesn't he? I think that's he? his thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, and it's point. like natural light. and. Oh, because he's the guy that did Birdman, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Birdman yeah, yeah. is like one shot. The whole yeah, thing. but they are stitched together. Yeah. I think it's three long. It's three, uh, it's still three, pretty, but still pretty long. So you got you got twenty minute fucking long takes, and so I think I remember seeing Zach Galifianakis interviewed about it, and he's waiting there for twenty minutes for the scene to get to him. And so that's so much pressure. You fucked it up. They've got to start that whole oh fucking God, thing. I never again. thought of that. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was a, that's a good example of the legacy. 20 minutes to of, get in your own head and fuck yeah, it up. Yeah, and fuck it up. And you've got to be ready to walk out that door at that second. So Birdman, Takes obviously. a certain cast, I guess. Yeah. So that movie took it to the next level. But even video games is a bit left field, but game came out last year, God of War. That game has no loading screens and is all single shot. So even as cutscenes happen, it pans out from your point of view as playing the character. So again, a, a stylistic thing that's kind of bled throughout culture that the long take is kind of a beautiful thing when used well. Yeah. But so my point here is this is the culmination of all the beautiful music. And then he kissed me, beautiful shot, follow him down through the thing, all one gloriously long, fluid, single take. Contrast that to later in the movie when Ray Henry is all coked up and out of control when things are spiraling, yeah. right? We're yeah. suddenly much shorter takes. We've gone from three-minute yeah, take to, to fucking 10-second take. Splits, We're splitting uh, between all kinds second, of songs, yeah. right? The romance songs are gone. We're cutting between, I think that at some point there's like six tracks in 10 minutes, yeah, cutting right. to multiple times. We're, we're cutting uh, multiple shots in the same scene, fast intent, close-up, paranoid, wide shots, timestamps. So you're seeing this is all in one day, fast drums, you know, you're getting all this kind yeah. of shit and the drums are getting faster and faster until he's finally arrested. And there's so much on this. I think even Spike Lee says, like, I've never, Spike Lee's never tried cocaine, but he feels like from seeing that, he knows what it feels like. <laughs> it captures something in yeah. the way he shoots that, the way it's cutting so fast between all the music, the agitation and just the paranoia, the way that, ah. Oh, it's such a contrast to the early parts in the film and it's just confronting. I remember, again, watching it as a younger lad just thinking, this is stressful, I don't like this. <laughs> but now watching it as an adult, yeah. I'm like, I uh-huh. kind of get what's happening here. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but just, oh, I get you that's on purpose. Yeah. I get that it, like, I'm not meant to like this. Yeah, it's meant um, to be uncomfortable. And yeah, it kind of just becomes this fucked up crescendo. Uh, and then there's actually no more music until... The very end, right? And There's no long, more music. I don't think it's that much longer, but it's interesting with it so jam packed full of music. Yeah. That ten minutes without music is quite a long time, right? Um, and again, I think this is one of those things that he uses it beautifully here, again in service of the storytelling, and it's become a bit of a gimmick now. I think there's like in pop culture, there's some good examples. So I think like Guardians of the Galaxy, good use of music. There's like yep. a it's embedded in the story of, as to why that kind of music is playing. Bad example, Suicide Squad. That was so bad. I haven't seen it. They I'm not going to see it. Don't see it. They have the, As they introduce each character, they're playing like, you know, ironic tracks that go with each one, but they kind of just cut them off randomly and then go to the next. It's all just horrible. Is it, so it's one of those it ones. Does insist upon itself? Oh, there's nothing to assist upon. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> um. Obviously, before this, Kubrick did a kind of similar thing, not similar in terms of pop music, but one of the pioneering uses of music in this way, not using pre-existing scores, was 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. So he took existing classical music yep. and 
the opposite, orchestrated the shots around that music. So look at 2001 Space Odyssey, great use of classical music. Then go forward, look at a movie like Baby Driver, which was all about that. Did you watch Baby Driver? I did watch Baby Driver. Yeah, and so every scene was orchestrated to the music. The editing, the cuts yeah, was all was like... pretty good. That was fucking cool. Yeah. And so that's almost like the evolution of this in a nice way. That's interesting. So we talk about how music gets a bit more hectic yeah. Um, as the scenes get more hectic. One thing he also did, he also, and I hadn't thought of what you're talking about, which makes the bit I talk about even more impressive because it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. But he also manages to juxtapose music against really violent scenes. Yeah, he has quite, like Layla. Yeah, exactly like the Layla scene. So there's a the pretty poignant scene in the film when Jimmy, Robert De Niro's character, after the Lufthansa heist, he basically decides, well, I'm just going to keep the money. Like, everyone's involved. I'm just going to kill. So <clears throat> there's a scene where he's sort of noticing everyone's spending the money and he, the agreement was don't spend any money. So he basically, everyone's being a fucking idiot. Everyone's turning up to the Christmas. Was it Christmas or something? There's some sort of party. So uh, basically, sees so everyone's spending money and he decides that he's going to start killing everyone that's involved in it. And then there's essentially a montage um, of dead bodies. As Ray Liotta sort of narrates the montage of how Jimmy just wipes everyone out, and yeah, and Lay- like the instrumental part of Layla is playing, which is quite a nice, sweet. Yeah, it's nice, and it, the first scene is it pans up onto the pink Cadillac that he'd been angry at this guy for buying, and he's killed him and his wife, yeah, or his girlfriend, and then you know people that were, you thought were decent-sized characters in meat lockers in the backs of truck. The um so yeah so he meant like as you say he uses music to complement the mood but he also does these weird juxtapositions where he's got you know hectic yeah. scenes with quite soft music yeah well on the music front should we talk about Joe Pesci's music career <laughs> I don't know too much about that so he was a musician before he was an actor stop he played in a band. I know this. It's in a video clip, I think, for Peppermint Twist or something. What if I told you that Joe Pesci was also a rapper? I mean, in terms of rapping skills, I give him a Will Smith out of 10. <laughs> that is definitely, that is, you've nailed it. Man, it samples the rapture. Give him a Will Smith <laughs> Welcome to Little Italy. <laughs> so yeah, in his defense, this was part of an album that had a bunch of different genres all over it. So 1998 album titled Vincent LaGuardia Gambini Sings Just For You. So some songs were funny, some were, you know, whatever. So that was 98. Back in the 60s, he played guitar for a band called Joey T and the Starlighters. He released an album back then called Little Joey Sure Can Sing. Listen to this. The man with the foolish grin is keeping perfectly still. But nobody wants to know him. They can see that he's just a fool. 
Man, my favorite com- my favorite YouTube comment on that is that he sounds like a black woman. <laughs> Man, he sounds like Nina Simone. It sounds like he sounds like Nina Simone. That's it. <laughs> that is so good. And I can't picture Joe Pesci singing. No, no disrespect. How about one more for good measure? And I think to myself, wow, what a beautiful world. <laughs> what was the word I used? What a particular world. <laughs> so I tell you the other juxtaposition I like in this movie is violence and comedy. My favorite one is um, after the murder of Billy Bats, which is brutal, man. That is a, that's a brutal scene. Frank Vincent's awesome. Like, it's a cameo, really. He's only in it for a short, short bit. So you've got one of the more brutal murder scenes. Yeah. Um, and they go for- face dumping, shooting. And then you cut into probably the most comedic scene of the best, for me anyway, yeah. the best comedic scene. Probably of the, the most improv scene too, I think. I believe so. And that's where they go over to Pesci, Pesci's house and his mum basically lets them in. And it's Scorsese's mum. It's Scorsese's mum. I don't think is, she had a script. No. She just thought she was, <laughs> oh, it's Marty's she friends. Like, she was like, it's Marty's friends because they're all, I think she knew them all pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, maybe less so Ray Liotta. And that's, maybe that's why he doesn't speak in the scene. Well, he doesn't speak in the scene because he's just had a fucking moment where he's like, what have I done with my life? Is I that what it is? He's realized how much they fucked up there. Killing a made man. Yeah, yeah. yeah and they right, don't seem okay. to care. They're they just like care. they're laughing, they're eating, they're nothing. Whatever. Yeah, I, back. I love that scene yeah. so much. And like they're looking at the painting. The painting, the ad living talking about this painting she's done, the dogs and the Yeah. Oh, oh man. It's perfection. So good. The um so to be to get to get made as a um gangster, uh you have to be fully Italian. <laughs> Full-blooded Italian. Yeah, that's right. And both Ray Liotta and, and De Niro's characters, Henry and, and they Jimmy. they got too much Irish blood. They're half Irish. Yeah. So you're never going to get made. Yeah. But Jimmy Conway, a la De Niro's character, yeah. puts fucking ketchup on his pasta or whatever he's eating. Yeah. And I'm <laughs> like, what? I don't know anyone. That, I don't know any Italians that put pasta on. I don't know anyone that's a, not a toddler. Yeah, that doesn't that puts ketchup <laughs> or tomato sauce on fucking pasta. But apparently, Jimmy the gent. Apparently, he did do it because I was life. like, I had to look. And apparently, he did this too. He did, yeah, because they kept referencing how that he he shook the bottle the way that. Yeah. Because De Niro apparently used to call Henry Hill four or five times a day and ask him things uh. about Jimmy the gent. And go, did he do this? Did he do that? And before that scene, he's like, oh, you like, you like ketchup? Did he? Did he do this? Right. So he was always immersed with the yeah. detail. But I was like, this is fucking bullshit. I was like, no, what? Hey, mate, you're wondering why you can't get made as an Italian mafia guy <laughs> and you're there putting ketchup on your it's pasta? Worcestershire sauce on there. <laughs> totally. Like, what do you want? Yeah. That is an insult. It's like, that's the main test. You can't put ketchup yeah. on. Yeah, that was it. That was it was the ketchup that did it. <laughs> it wasn't the fact that he had Irish blood. <laughs> anyway, That's that was a great. side note. <laughs> kind of angered me a bit. I was embarrassed as an Irishman. All right. One other element I appreciated about this movie, the freeze frames. Uh-huh. I think especially younger Henry, the way he uses these, and it's one of those things I think you don't notice that you notice right away. Uh-huh. Every single one of those freeze frames 
speaks to a defining moment or a, a moment that a lesson was imprinted in young Henry's brain. And even the fact that usually those freeze frames are accompanied by voiceover, which usually I hate voiceover in movies because usually voiceover is like lazy writing because it's that, compensating for lack of a you know good script. That just, um, I mean, that wipes out most De Niro movies for you. Really? Yeah. Huh. But um, but often it's used as a bit of a crutch when you're writing to put voiceover because it's like you know what it's it's all about show don't tell usually in a movie show don't tell show don't tell show don't tell if it's exposition if it's voiceover whatever just show it don't if you have to tell it that's lazy writing but he uses it in such a way where it's almost like again he said it himself like it's like a documentary yeah but almost I was thinking about this it's like one step away almost from being like The Office. <laughs> You know, the office that it's cut to someone being interviewed because not just with Henry Hill, it's like freeze frame as far back as I can remember, you know, uh-huh. whatever. I always wanted to be a gangster, whatever. But every now and then Karen's VO comes That's in right. too. Yeah. So it's like, a, it's almost like a talking heads moment. It's, of, it's dual narration. Yeah. Which kind of throws you off. It's great. And obviously he gets a bit more share of voice in there, but. I like that it kind of gives you a glimpse of it. that there's more, there's a whole other universe happening in this uh-huh. story and you get a, a glimpse of it. But we're hearing Henry Hill's version, but don't forget this character exists too and she's having a whole other every, experience. Every, yeah, every situation has, has multiple yeah. Um, perspectives. He, yeah, that, mate, that's, dual narration is kind of his thing. So he's done it in Casino. Casino has like three people. Right. So that's got, Casino's got Pesci, Casino, Casino's got, De Niro and I think I think Frank Vincent, right? It ultimately adds to that that documentary vibe. Yeah. So you feel like you're seeing something. You feel like you're watching this with him, and he's telling you about it. Oh, yeah, this is where this happened. Yeah. You know, like it's it, it's not a it's not a crutch where it's explaining something that you're not going to understand. It's there to make you feel something, and it works so well. And yeah, but with the freeze frame specifically. They're almost like photographs of like here is a key imprint in my brain of a defining part of my character. And so like the early ones, um, beaten by his dad, it means violence equals power. You get kind of get that lesson. It's also when you kind of start to see him drift away from his actual family, right? Postman's head in the pizza, you know, because he gets the letter home from school. That's why his dad beat him, whatever. Violence gets you what you want. Crime pays. Um, blowing up the cars. Crime is fun. Freeze frame. Yes, this is fucking great. Outside court, when he find, he has his first arrest, family. he gets out and it's like, okay, I got my new family now. This is good. I'm certified. Yeah, nice. Like all of these things just kind of bam, 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 bam. And I think the final one when he's young is meeting Jimmy, which is like the new father figure. And so if you just looked at those freeze frames, you kind of get a sense of who this guy is. Yeah. Um, Poignant influences. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking cool. And then yeah, the very nice. first one you see, though, is the opening of the movie when they're killing Billy Bats. And so that obviously imprints on him big time because this is a big fuck-up point for him, the point where he's getting in too deep. And when the film catches up to that moment again, you're seeing a lot of it in kind of jaggedy slow motion and further freeze frame. So it's it feels like bam, 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 like fucking hardcore imprints in his brain. Mm. And then you get to the end of the movie and he tears down the fourth wall entirely and he's talking to us and he's like, this is it, this is what happened. And it's kind of like... I was thinking about this today. It is almost like The Office. Like you almost expect him to cut to <laughs> Henry work. sitting there. <laughs> yeah, kind of. The mafia version of The Office. But you almost expect him to be sitting there with some Venetian blinds behind him talking about, yeah. I was, I was f- Tommy got a little excited <laughs> today. Oh, poor spider, hey. Man, 
Promise by that's one of my favourite scenes though. It's very real. Yeah. Most people recognise that as the biggest turning point. You, you're movie. laughing along with these guys up until this point. Correct. And you've seen, obviously, those beautiful scenes where they're yeah. having everything coming their way. Life is great. Yeah. Damn, I wish I was a gangster. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, you obviously get that Joe Pesci's a bit temperamental. Yeah. And the, but, but then he takes this guy out. You know, he just kills this guy in, in cold blood for no reason. Yeah. Tell him to fuck off or fuck yeah. you or whatever he says. Um, so... Apparently, the studio was pushing to get it removed. Yeah. Quite, quite hard. It's like that's the whole point. Like, yeah, they know? weren't getting it. They were like, no, but he's innocent. And they go, yeah, that's the That's, that's the, the whole, whole point. point. Like, this is where censorship falls down. It's like that's the lesson. Like, yes, it's violent and horrible. But they're not good that's guys. That's the thing that turns you off it. Yeah. That's the thing that doesn't glamorize it. Otherwise, otherwise yeah. they're just good guys that are criminals. Yeah, they're exactly. Not, but we've got to show they're not good guys. He cut his hand when he stacked it. Really? Oh, when he fell down the bar. Yeah, ah. like really badly. So he, in hospital, when he got to hospital, he had all the, because he got <laughs> blasted, you know, with, uh, with squibs the, or whatever they're called. Yeah, all over his chest. They thought he was there <laughs> as like a guy that had been shot in the chest four times. That's great. But then they, but then they realized he hadn't. <laughs> it was just his hand and he had to. <laughs> so speaking of Michael slash Christopher, there is cultural legacy abundant here. Yeah. Um, one of the funnest ones is the Sopranos connection. So David Chase, creator of the Sopranos, openly declares his love of Goodfellas. He's like, yeah, he's a fanboy. I think basically. he pretty openly says like it inspired me to make. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. It's pretty much. It is. You know, like we we joked earlier, this kind of Sopranos is kind of the TV show of yeah. Goodfellas. Yeah. So there's there's homages abound, um, and one of the best ones that I forgot it happened. I think it's like season one early. Yeah. Um, Christopher is in a bakery for whatever reason. He shoots him in the foot. Yeah. And then the baker's on the ground going, oh, you <laughs> shot me in the foot. And as he's leaving, he walks out. And as he's leaving, he goes, it happens. <laughs> it's pretty good. That is good. That's nice. That is good. I like it. I like it. And there's it. like 20 Goodfellas. 27. Uh, 27, is it? Yeah. Far out. And I think it's important to think about not just mafia things, but without Goodfellas, probably no Sopranos. But without Sopranos, there's not really TV as we know it. Sopranos yeah, was the yeah, new yeah. era of TV and specifically the anti-hero. Without Sopranos, you don't get Breaking Bad, you don't get Mad Men. Like so much of what has happened now in this new golden age of television mm-hmm. can be traced back to this movie. Maybe slightly with it with a dotted line, but it's there. I hear you. I yeah. support that. Yeah, definitely. It's crazy. I think it's also interesting that mob guys seem to like this movie because it's a bit like are they watching it like fifteen year old Tristan watched it? Are they not getting the lesson of this movie? Yeah, it's an interesting point because apparently Henry Hill himself. Yeah, he, he will screen it and shit. Well, he got to meet Leo, Ray Liotta. Got to meet him. Yeah, he met him and. Um, and he loved him, and he was like, he was saying, "Thanks for not portraying me as an asshole." And he's like, huh, what? "I thought I did." He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "Mate, I was just running around off my head on drugs, fucking shit up, whoring on my family." Like, okay, yeah, big time. Which was interesting. And it's not in a sweet way, like Mormons like in the Book of Mormon. You know, it's like <laughs> you <laughs> know they? they do, yeah, because they're like, oh, it's, it's it's us, yeah. It's like they were just nice people. Um, it's like they're not getting the. Uh, the moral of the tale. Well, there. I guess we didn't. <clears throat> yeah, but we were 
still forming our brains. Another <laughs> legacy item. I'm going to get whacked. <laughs> um, Simpsons. Remember the episode Bart the Murderer? That was the first appearance of the Fat Tony and his crew. Ah, uh, the first of those. What happens in that episode? That's when Principal Skinner gets killed and oh. looks like he got him whacked. He's making... Yeah, yeah, when he goes to work for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Anyway, they actually had the idea for that. That came out in 91. So oh. this movie came out in 90. They Gosh, apparently the had South the Park idea. The yeah, well, they took it a year later, though. South Park does it in six days. Yeah, but that's... Yeah. But yeah, they were. They were yeah. good. The, um, that's fast. That was, no, but so they apparently had the idea before Goodfellas. And then once Goodfellas came out, they were like, okay, well, let's... Let's make some references here. So Fat Tony was pretty explicitly modelled after Paul Sorvino, who was the boss in this one, Paul Cicero. Yeah. And um, there's like some classic shots where Bart comes home in a suit. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like the same thing. Yeah. Okay, and cool, good. the most hilarious one is the actor from this movie, Frank Severo, Severo the guy that's frozen in the meat locker yep. that in the Layla. Uh-huh. He tried to sue the Simpsons. For using his likeness, because he's the guy that talks like this. Yeah, yeah. Two hundred fifty million. He tried to sue them for. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was not successful. <laughs> Two hundred fifty million. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess some brains. Just try a million. Just like a cheeky mill. Two hundred and fifty million. Yeah. Well, how did he? Okay. Yeah. It's, that's right. pretty fun. I don't want to spend too much time thinking about how he came <laughs> up with that. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, briefly, I guess we should touch on the real Henry Hill. Uh, he's passed away now, mm-hmm. but he actually, yeah, so all that happened, ago. he actually got booted out of the witness protection program. Yeah. <laughs> so first time he got drunk at a barbecue and told everyone who he was. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that happened again. And then also he kept getting arrested and they're like, you know what, nah, fuck this. I'm not sure how it works because he's pretty. he was openly Henry Hill. For a for, long time. The, and, yeah, he had a cooking show, didn't he? Yeah, something. Cooking shows. <laughs> <laughs> I guess should we just um, say, like, summarize our favorite things? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I probably touched on my bigger ones. I would have to say, not that it's just about MVP, but Joe Pesci is my MVP. Yeah. And he's just so fucking good in this. Like, I've watched this again last night, and he is, like, one of those actors, and maybe because he's not in that much shit, where I'm just like, I don't even think he's acting, man. Yeah, I think that's fuck. That's the point, isn't he it? Always, it doesn't feel like he's And acting. it's not that other people were bad, but with him in particular, you hate him, you love him, you feel these, oh, he is that you're guy, kind of man. You're scared of him, you're scared of him. just this fat little short You guy. feel such, it's so tense. Like it, when, when his girlfriend's talking about um, Sammy Davis Jr., and it's just like he's, he doesn't go over the top, but he, it's like, what does he say? You know, when you talk like that in front of my friends, you know, it kind of looks like, kind of, and it, and you're like, oh, no, don't do it, don't do it. It's just yeah, tense. It's cringe. so tense. He's cringe. Oh, man. And he's so good. Oh, when he, after he kills Spider, and um, because th- there was apparently not much dialogue written in that scene, and um, he kills Spider and Bobby, you know, friend of the show, Bobby, he's like, oh, you got to dig the hole. I don't even have any fucking line. You got to dig the yeah. hole. And he's like, Dig a hole, I know how to fucking dig a hole. You think I never dig a hole before? He's, he's mumbling this like under his breath as yeah. he's walking over to the body. I oh, fucking dig a hole. Yeah. Like it's almost like Popeye. Like, you know, that. Like, but it's all just the character, man. Fuck, it's so well, good. Apparently, he was like, according to Henry Hill, did we say this earlier? I can't remember. According to Henry Hill, he was like 95% 
perfect. Really? He is Tommy. Wow. And I, I'm going to put that 5% down to the fact that, <laughs> that is That is 50% shorter. <laughs> he's probably, he's probably you know, like three quarters of a foot shorter. Yeah. That's kind of cool. It's not, he hasn't just made this guy up. He's, yeah. That's pretty impressive. That is good. I think this time watching, I was pretty drawn to the to Liotta and Bracco. I thought they were awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Especially Brack, like Bracco, Lorraine Bracco. I thought she was. She was so good, wasn't whoa. she? Yeah. She was so impressive. She she's pretty relatively straight. Like she grew, she's I think she's a Brooklyn girl. I think they said, and she grew up with those sort of mafia wives, so she didn't really have a problem portraying them. She kind of knew the type very well. And she's and she's heaps strong headed, and so I was hearing a bit about some of her diva. She was quite a diva on set. Yeah, like she butted heads with. Oh, because she wanted real jewelry. She wanted real jewelry. She's like, <laughs> they've all got real money. <laughs> Why can't I have real jewelry? Karen was a princess. I Karen, had to fight for the princess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was like, well, you know, I want to feel like Karen. Yeah, Karen was a princess. Yeah, that's a boss move. I like that. And then she brought her kids in. Yeah, she's they like, were the real her kids. The kids her, in the movie. The were kids, her kids in the movie are her kids. She's like, I'm yeah. not seeing my kids, so I want to use my kids. And he's like, That's right. good. And she's like, But then I, I kind of realized I may have fucked that up when she had to. Oh, you know the scene yeah. where she goes to. She's like pressing all the buttons on the. Yeah, she goes yeah. to the mistress's house, shag pad. Yeah, so she regretted having her kids on set apparently when. Yeah. When she got there. <laughs> when she was dragging him around screaming. So I think the only other call out for me is just the details. Yeah. We kind of skimmed around. Man, the details. We, we could spend all night on the details. Yeah. Huh? But just calling out the, the level of detail that they went into just, just made it so immersive. Like it made like that documentary, like yeah. when you were saying that first person stuff. Yeah. I think the detail that surrounds the film, like surrounds. The garlic that, with the razor blades, like the, all that kind the of costumes. shit. the costumes. Apparently Scorsese checked every extra, every He did lead. all the ties and He shit. did all that. Like he was doing everyone's ties. Yeah. He'd make sure the collars were perfect on every, everyone in every scene, whether yeah. they were the lead or the, in the background as an extra. Yeah. You know, the De Niro's pinky ring and, you know, the works. Just, yeah. It was, um that just made it so rich. He had a, apparently had a watch and a pinky ring for every suit. The match yeah, every suit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Just those so level good. of details yeah. and the chemistry, man. Like they obviously, I think he seems pretty contagious, Scorsese. So they all seemed so excited and pumped to be making this movie. Yeah. And apparently his level of enthusiasm is like, you know. There are a lot of people different. Two folds. Different actors say it's, you're elevated when you're working on these yeah. movies and you, you kind of feel a freedom. You can try things and do things and you feel like you're, your, you're having your best fucking day. day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Worthy of note is that Irishman movie coming out. Yeah, I want to watch the Irishman because that's got. Uh, it's got yeah, it does have Ray Romano. It's got De Niro, Pacino, is Pesci, Pesci in it. Pesci's in it. Pesci's in it. Yeah, obviously Scorsese's directing and Romano. It. Well, anyway, until we get to the Irishman. Yeah, can't wait for that one. That's what we thought. Did we miss anything? We probably did, it's, but we want to hear it. Yeah, that's our take. We loved it. That's our take. Yeah, we love it. This is a rewatch, so if, if ever there was one. It hasn't aged. Beautiful. <laughs> Man, I forgot mm-hmm. how good it was. Again, watching it was like eating a delicious steak after feasting on burgers for the last month. We highly encourage you if you've got some downtime over the Easter weekend. Yeah, watch immerse. it. Do it properly. All right, hit us up on Insta. Hit us up on whatever. 
I'd love to hear from you. I tell you, we're having the mix coming up. I'm pretty sure we got some. We can't. We're gonna have Encino Man, but we can't track it down. Yeah, we can't. If find anyone it. knows where we can get our hands on Encino Man, yeah. Apple TV doesn't have it. None of the SVODs have it. So yeah, we're gonna do some Aladdin soon. We're gonna do some Pulp Fiction. We're gonna do some Forrest Gump. And I want Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, it's coming soon. Came for that. Came for that. And I think we're ready for some Arnold soon. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Man. All right. Can I punch this? Uh,